Hey guys, I'm so glad to get to open God's Word with you. We're going to be looking at Revelation 1, starting in verse 4. And this is the last book of the Bible. And really, the whole Bible talks about suffering and prepares us to suffer. But especially towards the end of the Bible, you see an ever-increasing focus on suffering. The whole Bible describes the attempts of the serpent to stamp out the seed of the woman. But it's like now we're in the fourth quarter of a football game. We're tired, beat up. It's the most intense and grueling part of the game. Uh, it's crunch time. And our football coach would remind us when we were running during practice that this time was coming. We need to be prepared for the fourth quarter so we wouldn't give up or give out. Well, Revelation was written to encourage followers of Christ who, like our master, face real suffering. What encouragement do we need? We need a glimpse of Christ. We need a sight of his glory and of what he has done and what he is doing now. If we uh, are going to hold on and keep going and try to tell others about him in the midst of our broken lives and our spiritual battles, we need to see Jesus. Well, that's what we get in the first chapter of Revelation. We immediately get to drink deeply of the person and work of Christ. This is what we need in the middle of our desperate and seemingly never-ending struggles, to drink deeply of Christ, of who He is and what He has done. So we're going to read Revelation 1, verses 4 through 9, and a few other verses, including chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And I want to remind you that John wrote this, and it is a letter, but it's also different. He uses an apocalyptic style, and you can find examples of this symbolic way of writing in the Old Testament and elsewhere. Uh, and John uses numbers and images in a symbolic way. He describes the Holy Spirit as the seven spirits, meaning that the Holy Spirit's everywhere. Uh, ultimately, grace and peace can only come from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So keep in mind the symbolic way that John describes things as we read God's Word. So hear God's Word from Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And then John describes Jesus in his glory when Jesus came to 
to be with him. John said, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and look, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And then Jesus told John to write to the churches and each church and to each church. The first thing he says to them is, I know Uh, in chapter two, verse nine, we'll pick up with Jesus message to the churches. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Amen. This book reveals Jesus. It unveils him and we learn who Christ is. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 8, as we read, and also in chapter 22, verse 13, we see this title of God, the Alpha and Omega. Uh, In chapter 1, verse 8, applied to the Father. The Father is God. He is first and last. And then in chapter 22, verse 13, we see Christ is Alpha and Omega. Jesus is God. He is the first and the last. So we see his person that he is, the God-man, and we also learn what Christ did. He set us free by his blood. So instead of being under the king's wrath, we are brought to his table. We're brought into his family, into closest communion with him. So we're going to focus on three benefits of our communion with Christ that we can see in this passage. You're not alone. You are known. And you don't have to be afraid of the pain. You're not alone. You are known. And you don't have to be afraid of the pain. These things are Jesus' antidote or vaccine for the rejection, loneliness, and pain that we experience. And he sends this message to us. uh, And John records this for us. So let's look at the first one. You are not alone. It is not good for us to be alone, as God said in the garden. Uh, Think for a second of a time that you have felt alone. You probably don't have to think back too far to to remember a time like that, where you felt rejected or cut off from friends, lonely, isolated. Well, here, Jesus' closest friend on earth, John the Apostle, he was in exile on an island. But Jesus came to John to let him know how dearly loved he really was. He gave him a sight of his glory. Uh, John tells us in his gospel, uh, Jesus' promise not to leave us as orphans. And just as he visited John, he sent his spirit to be with us always. So we will always have Christ with us. He's walking among us. He's in the halls of our church when we can gather together, but he's also uh, among us hanging out in our living rooms, even sitting around the table with us by his Holy Spirit. 
Uh, in this vision, uh, John sees Jesus walking among the lampstands, and we are the lampstands. We are uh, the light because we have Christ in us who is the light of the world. So whenever at least two believers are together, Jesus is there in a very special way by his spirit. We experience Jesus' presence through his word and through his spirit, and especially when we're together with other believers. John wanted his brothers and sisters to know this. Uh, He's constantly telling us to love one another, um, especially in 1 John. But here uh, in Revelation 1, he starts off saying, I, John, am your brother and partner in the tribulation and kingdom and endurance which are in Jesus. He's our partner in all of this. Now, some people get all confused when talking about when's the tribulation going to be. But John says that he is already in it. He is in the tribulation. He is a partner and brother in it with God's people. We are already suffering, in case you didn't realize it. We are suffering, and God knows that we are suffering. Uh, But we are also already reigning with him. We are in God's kingdom. This is the already and the not yet. Uh, We are in God's kingdom, and suffering is a part of our conquering. In all these things, sufferings, Uh, Paul says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is the already and the not yet. John was rejected for Jesus and sent away from Ephesus to Patmos. He's quarantined, if you will. Uh, And as an exile, he says that he is our brother and fellow sufferer in the suffering and reigning and patiently enduring of his king, Jesus. Uh, And so his fellow citizens were not alone. And this is amazing. Though he was the one exiled, he wanted others uh, to know that they were not alone. Uh, And then Jesus shows up and lets them know that he's been walking around in their midst and is with them. We can expect pain, but we're not alone. Uh, My counselor, John Cox, says, grieving alone is an oxymoron. We're part of one body, and when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. The other parts suffer with it. So when we bring our pain into loving relationship, our pain gets better. So let's bring our pain to Jesus. Let's bring our pain to the body of Christ and be together however we can. Uh, bring all our grief into his loving arms and we can be the loving arms of Christ to each other. Uh, We are his little brothers and sisters who will listen to each other and show up for each other with his love in our eyes. So we are not alone. Secondly, Jesus says, I know. I know what you're going through. He knows us and he knows all the things we're facing. This is the first thing, actually, that he says to each of the seven churches. He says, I know. Uh, Listen to some of the things he says that he knows about his people. He says, I know how hard you're trying. He says, I know your suffering and your poverty, though you are rich. I know how hard it is where you live. 
your work, your love, your trust, your serving, your hanging on. I know your half-hearted actions sometimes. I know you're flirting with death. Uh, I know your little strength. I know you're holding on to my word and to my name. I even know your lukewarmness. I know all your nastiness. Hmm. The king knows his people. He knows us. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly about us. And still, he loves us. Still, he shows up for us. He knows and he cares and he is at work, even in all our mess. Years ago, I was having a bad day, bad month, bad year. I was driving back to work and uh, I saw this dog trotting along the railroad tracks. He was mangy and hair was falling out. Uh, you could see his ribs and it looked like he hadn't eaten in weeks. His head was down and he just looked miserable. I said, Lord, I feel like that dog. Lord, help that dog. And as I prayed, raw meat fell out of the sky. Almost wrecked my car. I followed the trajectory and it was like a red meat rainbow. Uh, I saw that as I was praying, a butcher was actually throwing scraps to this poor dog. I lost it. I started bawling. I was like, okay, Lord, I get the point. You're taking care of this mangy dog and you're going to take care of me. You know what I'm going through. You know what I need. I'm your dog. Uh, he loves us. He has already planned out how he's going to provide for our every need. And so we're not alone. We are known. And we don't have to be afraid of what we're going to suffer. That's the third thing that we can see from our communion with Christ. We don't have to be afraid of what we're going to suffer. That's chapter 2, verse 10. He explains, Jesus explains, it's going to be bad for a limited time period, for a little while. He says for 10 days, an appointed time. And this is bad time, but this testing is actually for our good. Uh, as Peter says, it purifies our faith like gold refined in the furnace. And so Jesus says, do not be afraid of the pain. Well, how can he say that to us? Our king was no stranger to pain. He is the man of sorrows. He is acquainted with grief. He was cast out into the farthest quarantine, into the farthest darkness. He was cast into outer darkness upon the cross in order to rescue his kidnapped brothers and sisters who live in darkness. Jesus was cast out and rejected by his own people, but much worse, Upon the cross, he was cursed by his father for us so that we would be accepted and brought in, brought home forever. So because of him, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid of anything. Really, that's what Revelation is about. The unveiling of Jesus, showing us who he is, who our triune God is. And we will see God and overflow with happiness we couldn't dream of. We'll be with the one we were made for. We'll be with our first love and our chief delight. And even now, he is with us in everything. He is the champion. 
Uh, the Greek word for this is the archegos. He's the archegos or champion of our salvation. The book of Hebrews and a couple other places in the New Testament use this word archegos to show that Jesus is the commander, the ruler, the king of salvation. He is sovereign over salvation. He is the Lord of salvation. But also he is the source and author and provider of our salvation. And he is the first or the trailblazer. He goes ahead. He pioneered the way for us. He is the way. And so he is the champion of our salvation. And because he is with us, we don't have to be afraid. Yes, we don't have what it takes. We don't have what we need, but he does. And he is with us. Go back and read the description of Christ in Revelation 1 uh, when you have time. Again, in uh, Revelation 19 uh, and several other places throughout Revelation. Revelation chapter 5, I love as well. Um, But do you need a priest to wash away your filthiness and a king to pardon you? He is our great high priest who clothes us with his own brilliant robe and enables us to follow him in doing right. He's the king and judge who died for us and so will never condemn us. Do you need wisdom? His eyes see everything. Do you need strength to stand? He stands with feet like burnished bronze that can't be struck by a snake anymore. He stood up and walked out of the tomb and he will hold you up even through death. His word is more powerful than any tidal wave and pierces like a two-edged sword and can slay all our sins and every foe. Let your heart gaze upon your champion whose face is like the sun shining in full strength. He is the champion of our hearts who leads us into battle as more than conquerors. A story about this really hits home to me. Legan Duncan tells the story of the Battle of Bannockburn on Midsummer's Day, 1314. Uh, the greatest battle ever fought in Scottish history was fought outside the little town of Stirling. Uh, it's called the Battle of Bannockburn. And it was the battle in which independence was won from England by the nation of Scotland. The king of Scotland was a man named Robert the Bruce. He'd never really fought a pitched battle against the English. The English had assembled under Edward II the largest army ever in the history of the British Isles and had marched north and had camped south of the castle at Stirling. The Scottish army had never fought an English army in pitched battle. And you can imagine the nerves that would have been in the Scottish camp the day before the battle as they anticipated fighting against a force which outnumbered them at least two to one. And on the day before the battle, on a small highland pony, Robert the Bruce, the King of Scots, who had alone kept the cause of Scottish independence alive for 20 very long years. He was out in front of his troops inspecting them. And suddenly, one of the English knights, Sir Humphrey de Bohun, spotted Robert the Bruce and began to charge across the field. He was on a great war horse and he lowered his lance and he came thundering at full speed towards King Robert the Bruce. 
all the Scottish armies began to scream, calling for King Robert to come back within the ranks into a place of safety where he would not be harmed. You see, they understood that if that one man died, the whole hope of Scottish independence was gone. All the hopes of national independence rested upon him. And so they called him to come within the ranks. He did not listen to them. He turned his little highland pony around. And by the way, it was so small that it was said that his feet almost touched the ground. He stood up in the stirrups and he waited. As de Bohun charged across the field, he lowered his lance, readying to dismount Robert the Bruce. And then if he were not killed by the blow of the lance, to either strike him down with his axe or his sword. As he came upon the Bruce, the Bruce stepped his pony aside and de Bohun missed him. And he pulled out his battle axe and clove his head in two. The Scottish army went crazy. It's like the greatest sports scene you've ever seen. They went berserk, cheering that their king had just taken down the guy with one blow. And as Robert the Bruce came back into his ranks of soldiers, as they reformed, his generals were scolding him for risking everything in that foolhardy act. But Robert the Bruce, all that Robert the Bruce could say was, I broke my best axe. Now, John Barber, the chronicler of Bruce's life, tells us that that night in the camp, instead of focusing on the fears of facing that great army, all the men of Scotland's army, all they could say was, now that's a king worth dying for. That's a king we can follow anywhere. Suddenly, all their concerns had been decentralized. All their focus on themselves and their fears had been turned to focus on the greatness of this king they were following. Brothers, we, fall, we follow a far greater king than Robert the Bruce. And he has won a far greater victory single-handedly in hand-to-hand combat with the enemy of our souls, with both hands nailed to the tree. And when we see how great he is, we are freed to serve. We're freed to praise. We're freed to live. We're freed to face the challenges of this world because our focus is on our champion. When he is the center of all things, we can take our grief to him and even have delight and joy in the midst of pain. So we are not alone. We are known. And we don't have to be afraid of the pain. Let's take some time right now to pray for the things that we are afraid of and remember who Jesus is and what he has done and is doing now in the middle of our suffering. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need you. Please show up for us as only you can. Help us to trust you. Help us to tell you about the stuff in the basement of our hearts. Help us to grieve with you and with your people. Help us to trust that you are enough and you can handle this. You've got this. We ask for your help. We ask you to show up for us. Help us to know that you know what we're going through. Help us to know that you're with us. 
and that you're turning suffering into glory, even as you suffered for us and conquered for us. And now you are on the throne of heaven. We love you and your father and your spirit and bind to ourselves today the holy name of the Trinity. Through you, Lord Jesus, our risen King. Amen.